we will cover Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17 this morning, Lord willing. We've been chewing on the word, amen, taking our good old time going through this wonderful prison epistle, um, so much there, and we're going to cover again verses 12 through 17. If you want to stand with me, we'll read it together, and then we'll dive in. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let us pray. Father, we come before you just delighted, Lord, to be here, uh, to gather in the name of Jesus, to praise you, to worship you. You are so worthy. You are a great God. You have done great things. And we're so thankful, God, that you dwell with us and in us. And now we pray, Lord, as we get into your word, that we would continue our worship of acknowledging you. Uh, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would bring us fresh encouragement uh, to the instructions of your word as we look at to see how the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, encouraged the body there at the Church of Colossae. In the same vein, Lord, we pray for this encouragement that that we would receive from you, Lord, and that we would leave today not having heard a sermon, but having heard from you, God. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So again, this passage of Scripture, as we've just read, will look at the practical application of what we've read in the first couple chapters. Again, the gist of what Paul was saying as we come to chapter 3 was that if you have believed in Christ, if you made that profession of, of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are to put off the old man. That is, putting off the old clothes, the, the old nature, if you will, that you had before knowing Christ. Not that our sin nature ever goes away, but God is sovereign, and he's equipped us, empowered us to put on the new man. You have been washed by the blood of Jesus. You have been born again, born of the Spirit. And then he says, well, just, okay, go get him. Right? Wrong. He doesn't say, just go get him. We have instructions from his word that we are to put on the new man by putting off the old man. And so we're going to look again the characteristics of the new creation in Christ. And as followers of Christ... We have a dress code, right? We don't have a dress code at church, but we do have a dress code in Jesus. I mean, some uh, dress up for church, some others don't. Um, but nevertheless, 
in our relationship with Jesus, he's given us these clothes, these garments that we'll look at. And it's interesting when you think about professions that have uniforms, if you will. I, I love the military uniforms. Uh, I was in, in the Navy, but the most awesome uniform, in my opinion, is the Marine. The Marine's uniform speaks of integrity and honesty and power and, you know, just a great reflection of who the Marine Corps is. And then you have pilots. Pilots have nice uniforms. I love seeing them in the airport. They're, you know, as they're hustling and bustling through the airport with their luggage, they have their uniforms and they have their little emblem. Um, and then what about male men and women? Pretty sharp, right? Uh, they bring our mail, the USP, uh, US, uh, yeah, UPS too, right? Um, they're their brown uniforms. They're nice too. But then you got the football uniforms. I mean, there's a lot of money that gets put into football uniforms. I mean, my goodness, every other week you got your favorite professional football team. They're throwing throwback jerseys, future jerseys, whatever, whatever. But being in Christ, God has given us these garments to put on. And so we're going to see this as Paul continues with this mindset. Let's dive in. Verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. So again, we have this word, therefore, connecting us to everything that has been said before, particularly from verse 10, where it says, being renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created us. So the connection of putting on new clothes. And it's interesting here to me that before the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, tells us what garments to put on, there's a few descriptions of how God sees you and I. The elect of God, holy and beloved. This is why we got to chew on the Word and meditate on these things and these descriptions that God speaks of you and I. And the first description we see here is the elect of God, God's chosen people. Now we know that Israel is God's chosen people. Israel is, has always been, and always will be the apple of God's eye. And when it says here that the church or those who are in Christ is the elect of God, God is not suggesting in his word that there's a progression that's taken place that the church has replaced Israel. That's not true, amen? We know that. Here, followers of God is called the elect of God. And I love this, the elect. You are chosen. Think of what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you have been called, you are chosen, you are the elect of God. Now, I don't believe, and I, I, I say this with, um, you know, 
you know, when you read scripture and hopefully that when you chew on these things, it might spark a memory back to when maybe you were a newer believer and you started studying for the first time. And I remember we had an awesome uh, Sunday school teacher who later became the, uh, you know, the pastor of the Calvary Chapel Church plant. But this is one of the first things that we got to chew on, the elect of God. And you can really, you know, go deep in the doctrine of election, which I do believe that's in the scripture. Why does God have that in his word? Well, I believe because he wants us not to debate whether we're chosen or not, but to recognize his greatness, that he has done great things. We are the elect of God, not because anything that you could ever do for God or what you've done for God, but he's chosen you, just as Paul says there. Then look at Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, we are his workmanship. We have been called by God, prepared beforehand. Before what? Well, before of all creation. God knew us. And that, again, is, a, is an awesome thing to contemplate or to meditate upon that God chose us before the foundation of the world. How do you know if you're the elect or not? How do you know you're chosen? Well, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. If you're following the Lord, you're chosen. Amen? Now there's get a lot more into it, but that, it comes down to it. You know without a shadow of a doubt because you know, you know, you know. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, telling you these things. If you are following Jesus Christ, you are the elect. And then what about this word holy? This is a description of every believer in a positional sense. We are in Christ. We have permanently been set apart for God, to praise God, to worship God, and to serve God with our lives. And that word, again, holy, comes from the same word saint. How many wake up this, woke up this morning and feel like a saint? <laughs> well, we all should raise our hand because that's who we are. It's not based on how we feel or or anything else, That's, this is who God called. These are his, this is God's word describing you and I. We're the elect of God. We are holy. We're set apart from him. We're, we're the consecrated ones. Again, to worship him, to serve him. And then what about beloved? Christians are chosen. We're holy. We are beloved. And this, again, as we chew on the word of God and we think upon these things, you might ask, well, if I'm beloved... I know I'm loved by God. Well, how much does God love me? Well, you and I understand that God sent his son Jesus to the cross. He demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. But when we chew on these things, we think of this word beloved. And when we chew on that, the Lord reveals himself. As I did this this week, I'm reminded that God the Father loves me as much as he loves his son, Jesus. That's how much he loves us. And you remember the story or the, the account of Jesus when he was baptized? In Luke chapter 3, it says, When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. 
And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son. Listen, in you I am well pleased. We are in Christ. We are the elect. We are holy. We are beloved. Just as the Father loves the Son, so he loves you and I. Again, these are his words that describe and identify you and I with him. So again, we have these three essentials then. The elect of God, holy and beloved. And then we have put on. Here's again the, the description of or a reference to the new clothes. Who likes getting new clothes? Come on, women. Get your hands up there. A lot of guys were raising their hands there. Yeah, we all like to put on new clothes, but listen, when the Bible says to put on these new clothes, or refers to new clothes, Romans 13, 14 says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So putting on Jesus, the clothing ourselves, we, we, we will eventually have the characteristics of, of Jesus. Essentially, as we are to put on the Lord Jesus, we are to pattern ourselves, our lives, after Jesus, to imitate him. And how do we do that? It's not like we get saved and then all of a sudden our lives are always like Jesus. Amen? It's not that way. But we're to spend time with him. You look at the disciples. They had the blessed privilege of walking with Jesus three plus years. You and I, because Jesus said, I will do greater works than what he did when he walked here on earth because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He's given us the helper, the one who comes alongside to help us. Just like the disciples, they spent time with Jesus. You and I spend time with the Lord through prayer, devotional life, coming together with the body of Christ and fellowship, you know, in the word, all of these things leads us as we spend time with him. It's just a supernatural, natural saying that we become more like Jesus, being conformed to the image of Christ. And it says here then, put on tender mercies, which is compassion, a tenderness expressed towards the suffering, the hurting or the sick. And then kindness means to put the tender mercies into action. It's compassion revealed, even in the midst of an evil and cruel world. And that speaks to me, especially in the days that we're living in. I do believe we're living in an evil, cruel world. And the easy thing for you and I to do is just hunker down. Hunker down and wait for Jesus to come because we believe he's coming soon. Let's just, you know... Hunker down. But Jesus came into this world, evil, cruel, wicked. He died for our sins. He didn't hunker down. So as we pattern our lives around him, we are to be light to the world and salt to the earth. <clears throat> humility. You know, the best way to describe humility is Jesus himself. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowlessness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. 
let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but others' interests. And then meekness. Meekness is power under control. It's having the attitude or the mindset and behavior that comes from hum humility that will lead a person to submit to the Lord. We had the blessed privilege uh, this last Wednesday night. And, you know, you, you, you chew on these words. Certainly we understand, and I know, understand the word meekness, but it's just like, Lord, meekness. And yes, I know that he is meek. But we got to pray with a sister on Wednesday night, and the Lord showed me that's meekness right there. A gal who had so much going on in her life, the Lord's delivered her so much, she's going through great struggle now, but she said, the Lord is with me. It's a submission to God, no matter what might be going on in our lives, no matter how we might be wronged in any way. It's just submitting to the Lord, trusting in Him, knowing He's in charge, He's sovereign, and He'll see us through it. That's meekness. And again, Jesus, the perfect example of what meekness is. And then long-suffering. I like my new King James Bible these days because it doesn't say patience. Long-suffering means patience. I think the New American Standard says patience. And patience is a tough word. Long-suffering sounds better. But nevertheless, the ability to bear injury and insult without complaining. Okay, we'll move on. You know, it's the flesh, right? The flesh likes to complain. Or is it just me? The flesh wants to grumble, to murmur, to complain about every little thing. Long-suffering and patience. We're to put on these. We're to put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Put on these things. And verse 13 then. Bearing with one another. And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So again, through this passage, we're seeing essentially the body life. These are things that instructions of living within the body of Christ. And I'm amazed, or not really amazed, but it's interesting to look at it, and how the Holy Spirit is so wise certainly giving wisdom to the Apostle Paul and sharing these things that he would share with the church then in the first century because the Lord knows that within a body of Christ there's going to be difficulties. We're so new we don't have any yet, right? Amen? We do, but uh, we're bearing with one another. Amen? You know, we, we are different. Every one of us are different. We have different interests. We have different perspectives on different things, and we may even differ on doctrinal issues that aren't essential, that go beyond, you know, salvation. We, we might differ. But, you know, essentially in, in all these things, uh, in the many differences that we might have, if we have the love of Christ, we are going to bear one another, bear with one another. We're going to have the desire to put on these garments that the Lord is showing us here to bear with one another. It means to put up with one another in spite of personal faults, in spite of personal faults or unpleasant ways or personality quirks. We're to, we're to bear with one another. And then it says, if anyone has a 
and, excuse me, and forgiving one another. As followers of Christ, we ought to be the most forgiving people on the face of the earth. Amen? And the most forgiving to one another. What great testimony that when we can bear with one another and forgive one another. And you know, we live in a day that there is just this spirit of offense. Spirit of offense. It's, a, I believe, an antichrist spirit that, you know, obviously opposing the Lord. Today, people are offended over the smallest things. And we could go into many examples, but we'd be here all day. But it's interesting that Matthew 24.10 says this, and many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Certainly we've experienced or certainly uh, have seen this spirit of offense in the last couple of years. Remember COVID? You know, many people having different perspectives of COVID. And what about the mask? Wear a mask, not to wear a mask. And then what about the vaccine? Get the vaccine, not get the vaccine. And then you throw in all the woke mentality. We can see this is all nothing but an antichrist spirit. Not looking at the world, but looking within the body of Christ. Look at the difficulties that the body of Christ has had on some of these issues. The woke mentality played out in the mask, the vaccines. Now, you can have and ought to have conviction of the Lord. I certainly have mine. But that should never bring division in the body of Christ. And the enemy has been allowed to come into the body of Christ and cause division. It seems like it was planned, this division within the body of Christ. Where the word of God's telling us here, it's not giving us exceptions. Well, in case there is a pandemic, you don't bear with one another, blah, blah, blah. No, it's because we live in this hostile world, we are to bear with one another. We are to forgive one another. But it says here, if anyone has a complaint against another, and the word complaint here speaks of worthy of blame. Maybe somebody you know, needs to be uh, you know, talked to and explain the scriptures, or they're wronging somebody, I guess is what I'm trying to say. There is that complaint. And rightfully so. But it says here, even as Christ forgave you, so, all, so must you do. It's not having the attitude, well, I'll forgive you because I have to. It's forgiving others because Jesus is the standard. Remember, it goes back to uh, Colossians 3, chapter 1, where Paul said, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting. Set your mind on the things of heaven, not on earth. And if we're always pursuing to be like Jesus, was Jesus forgiving? Absolutely. And he's always our standard. And we always fall short. And through reading all this, I'm blessed to know and encouraged that I don't measure up with all this. And the Lord knows that each and every one of us are a work in progress. That's grace. We walk in that grace. But Jesus is our standard, and as we are putting on Jesus, we will have that forgiving spirit about us as well. But then verse 14, it says, But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. 
And this literally means to put on the love. It's a unique love. It's a love that comes from God and flows from God through us unto, unto others. And essentially, when it says, which is the bond of perfection, he's given us these wonderful garments to put on, the tender mercies, the, the forgiving spirit, the, the uh, kindness, the humility, the meekness, the long-suffering. And then we finish it off by putting on like a belt. You know, I was going to ask the question, why did we wear a belt? For the guys, we wear it so our, our trousers stay, you know, don't come down. But a lot of people wear a belt for decorative measures and holding it all together. And that's what Paul's saying here. The Spirit's telling us to finish it off, the bond of perfection, this belt, tying it all together, love. Put on love. How important is it today, especially, in the days that we're living in, that we as a church fellowship put on the Lord Jesus Christ. These garments, especially, again, living in these days. And I can remember back in, uh, you know, March of 2020 when COVID hit. And um, here we are, Jane and I and my family, we're getting ready to, to move to Cincinnati as the Lord was calling us. And one week before, COVID hit, we announced to the church that we were leaving St. Mary's. One week later, the world is shut down. And I questioned the Lord. Have, am I hearing you, Lord? And it was confirmed, absolutely, hearing from him. But as things started to take place, I mean, you had division in the workplace, you had division in the family, you had division everywhere, division in the body of Christ. And then you throw in the election here. The Lord did speak to my heart that we fervently need to love one another. Above all else that's going on, that doesn't mean we don't have our convictions. That doesn't mean we don't speak our convictions. It means above all else, we put on love and fervently love one another. That's in the body of Christ that we go above and beyond just lip service of saying we love one another, but to truly be there. I'm convinced that the church plant, Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship, brewed from that spirit. That as we go out, as we understand there's a famine of the word of God in our land, but it's also a famine of loving one another to demonstrate and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am blessed. I've heard it. A handful of times in the last, well, this is week nine, but who's counting? Of the church plan. More than once, more than a couple, people there love one another. That is a wonderful testimony of a body of believers. And we don't have to work on that. We, let me back up. Let's not settle, and we'll get to that in a minute. But it comes naturally. Because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to pray. Lord, how, how, how much more can we love one another? How can we be effective in serving the body of Christ? Because I don't know, things are going to get much difficult down the road here. Amen? We know that. The, the world's telling us that. The Word of God has told us that. And despite it all, we're to fervently love one another. And all of us collectively. Lord, how's this look? What, what, what am I to do? How am I to fervently love my brothers and sisters in the Lord? This really needs to always be on our mindset again. Fervently loving one another 
in the days that we're living in. And Paul says here, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And then, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. The peace of God. John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Powerful words of the Lord. I'm also reminded, what were the first words of Jesus to his disciples after he was resurrected? Peace be with you. But then you go down a couple more verses and it says, my peace I give to you as I was sent, I send you. Again, Jesus speaking to his disciples and the Holy Spirit speaking to you and I. And we can only have peace that comes from God if we have peace with God. The only way we have peace with God is to have that sin or the consequences of sin, the wages of sin, moved out of the way. Remember, as Paul talked earlier in Colossians chapter 1, we were hostile to God. We were alienated from God until we came and one time we heard the gospel message and we surrendered our life. We committed our lives to him. And that sin, the hostility, the alienation was all taken away. And now we have peace that comes from God because we have peace with God. The context here, though, not only individual peace that comes from God, the context here is referring to the peace that ought to characterize a church fellowship or a church family. The peace of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 16. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes or cause trouble, and by this many become defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who is for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Now that's a, that's a sanctification verse, and there's some deep truth in there. If we're not pursuing the peace of God, and we're not having the peace of God, and we're allowing things in this world to just you know fester up in our hearts, in conflict, again, within the body, that root of bitterness begins to grow in us. And it says, with that, we cannot see God. What's it mean? Well, we can't grow in the Lord. We can't truly experience his peace. Yeah, our salvation is there, but our fellowship with God, our fellowship with believers, when that conflict is within, it's a, it's a root of bitterness. And we know that a root of bitterness, if not dealt with, it, it, it grows. And it becomes such a thing within a body. And so Paul's saying, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Pursue, make it a priority. Let the peace of God rule. The Greek word here literally means arbitrate or umpire. So the idea here is that the peace of God is going to arbitrate or umpire. It leads us as we do life together as a church. We ought to let the peace of God rule Leading us in decisions, actions, 
And then we're also told to be thankful. To be thankful. So the idea here, the peace of God arbitrating and all that we do, even in the midst of conflict within the church, we are to be thankful because we have the peace of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The word of Christ, and this speaks of the entire scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, the word of Christ. Again, notice here, this is action. This isn't just having in our mind, but it's allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. The word dwell meaning to be at home in your heart, to let the word of God richly be at home, abundantly, extravagant. How do we do that? Well, one way is that we hear the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Again, the mindset of the assembly, a body of believers coming together. Faith comes by hearing by the word of God, making it a priority. Revelation 2, 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, hearing the word of God taught. We're so blessed living in the day, days that we are. Although there's nothing that goes above coming together as the body of Christ. To allow the spirit of God to speak to the body of Christ together. We are so blessed that we can go get a sermon anytime we want. But it's not the same. Oh, we can learn and grow and hear from God absolutely by anybody who's truly preaching the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, because it's the Spirit of God. But there's nothing like meeting together as the assembly of the believers coming together, worshiping God in the Word of God. It's a Holy Spirit thing. And I'm convinced that, again, we are in the book of Colossians because the Lord knew before the foundation of the world that what is today, October 9th of 2022, not only is it Dave Rose's birthday, but the Lord also knew that we would be in Colossians chapter 3, putting on the garments that God's given to us, learning how to do that. Jesus said in Matthew 4, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we are to hear the word of God, and then we are to handle the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself, approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we need to study the word. I mean, there's such a thing that is you read the word, and then there's studying the word, to chew on the word, to learn deeper, to feed ourselves. Man, as believers, if this is all you get during the week of the Word of God, you're starving. You need to be in the Word for yourself, to feed yourself. Reading it, memorizing it, and then using it. Yeah, this in context, the Lord, through Paul, speaking to young Timothy, but this is the Holy Spirit speaking to every one of us. Well, where, where can we use the Word of God? Well, 
work, in the home, in the family, Walmart, Target, Kroger's, Jungle Gyms. It's so important that we also, in the midst of spiritual warfare, to use the Word of God. We are to hide it in our hearts that we're able to use it. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So again, the importance of the word of God richly dwelling in us. And look how this is written. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Teaching is the impartation of truth. Admonishing is to exhort or to warn people about behavior or false teaching. And certainly we understand in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. A foundational verse that we looked at a few times already in Colossians, Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25, and let us consider, meaning let's chew on this, let's really take this in, let's pay attention, let's chew on it. Let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So to have that wisdom, discernment from the word of God, we're to, and as we do richly, or we do have the word of God dwelling in us, and we're chewing it, we're handling it, and we're using it, we are going to exhort one another. We're going to encourage one another. We may even rebuke one another. Correct one another. Again, that's the beauty of a body of Christ. We should be able to go to one another. If we see somebody in sin, we need to go to them and, and love because we don't want them to, you know, stand before the Lord in the sense that we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. We want to be ready. Our salvation's taken care of. Positionally, we're in Christ. But we don't, we don't want our brothers and sisters to not be ready for his coming. When I hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Again, all over the New Testament, we have this phrase, one another, referring to the followers of Christ, meeting, assembling together. You know, in the body of Christ, there is no lone rangers. You know, I've heard many times, well, you know, me and God have an understanding, and I worship him in my own way. You ever hear that? That's when you know somebody's not rightly dividing the word of God. The word of God is treasure. And as we let the word of God, the word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Again, that's going to happen. When we're in the word of God together, allowing the Holy Spirit to pierce our hearts and grow deeper in our walk with the Lord, this is going to happen. Wisdom and encouragement and admonishing one another, all these things, it just takes place. It also leads we admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. 
Worship, letting the word of Christ richly dwell in our hearts as we treasure it, it, it produces an attitude of worship, to worship God. I'm, I'm so thankful that in our worship service, because you got to watch, especially there's so many hip-hop and so many worship groups out there that, uh, you know, become big and big name, and you do a little research, and you notice that from their home churches or whatever, they're off the mark. And sometimes you got to go back and you look at the lyrics and you don't know if they're singing to God, Jesus, or somebody else. But if we're in the Word of God, it's going to produce a reverent attitude or a worship to the one true God. And I'm so thankful for our worship, the lyrics are spot on. And that's so vital, that our lyrics are spot on because it's we're singing to the Lord. I kind of chuckle when I read this, it says, Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I'm like, you've got to have a lot of grace when you hear me sing. <laughs> but not the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto him. You see, if when we allow the word of Christ to richly dwell in us, and we have this wisdom and it's admonishing one another and it's producing this attitude of worship, it is with grace because we understand what God has done for you and I. We worship him not because we could ever do anything for him or tell him, I'm going to do this starting today. Anybody do that? All right, I'm going to stop this sin. And starting today, I'm going to get my act together. That's a great thought. It doesn't work. <laughs> Call out to God. And as we, again, this, this grace, it leads to our singing and praising, worshiping God out of a thankful heart recognize that at one moment he did reveal himself to us. It doesn't matter if it was three weeks ago or 30 years ago. We should have this reverent attitude to sing the songs that we sing to worship him and praise him, understanding that he's given to us the greatest need that we have. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. And the amazing thing is then as we, as we get into the word and allow it to, to you know, lead us and draw us closer to the Lord, we grow. We grow. And again, this is all in the context within the body of Christ, the local body of Christ. Experiencing his presence every single day. Experiencing his grace. And again, just like the word of God, if the church assembly is... All the word you get, you're going to starve. If this is the only time that you're praising and worshiping God, you might be starving. We praise and worship God every single moment. That's ultimately a, we bow our hearts down, acknowledging, always acknowledging God for who he is. Every circumstance, every moment. And when we feel weak, we rely on him, going to him and experience his grace every moment. And then Paul says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The bottom line here is a commitment to bring Jesus into everything we say and do. Everything. I like to pick on Walmart. And everything we do, Bring praise and glory to him. 
That means going to the grocery store. That can be rough, amen? Costco's on Saturday morning. Anyone? You know, you're looking to get in and out of there. No matter where we go. You know, we have the blessed opportunity with these outreaches that the Lord's opening doors for. I mean, the Operation Christmas Child. That's, this is a way we bring glory to God. We'll never meet these children, ever, probably. But there might be a day in heaven that a child comes up to you and they will know that it was you, your family, your church that provided the gospel message. You see, when we do in word or deed and do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, that's essentially just looking for opportunities for, for God to shine through his son, through us, unto others. Your job, school, parenting, all of them are essentially opportunities, spiritual pursuits. And it says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And in fact, we've seen in these scriptures that we've looked at the exhortation of giving thanks and having this attitude of thanksgiving to God. Being thankful, you know, for the peace of God. Being thankful for the assembly of believers. Being thankful that we are, you know, we get to sing to God. We get to honor him through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We get to do that because of him. We're to do all things, giving thanks to the Father through him. Thankfulness ought to be such a high priority for all of us. And it really is. When we're honest, we can go to the Lord. Lord, am I a thankful person? Do my actions line up with my heart of being thankful? You know, see, the flesh wants to focus on every little negative thing. Before I came to Jesus, and maybe somewhat, some would say even after I come to Jesus, you know, complaining, finding the worst thing in any situation, and I remember back, um, you know, you know, having a newborn can be rough. Amen. And I remember we had some grass. We before Jude was born, we had a, a cement patio. We poured, and it was wet out, and it was kind of hectic. And one week later, we were going to have this baby come into our lives, and he's our little blessed surprise, and. The cement truck couldn't reach with their boom to the, pour the concrete. So I said, just drive on the yard. I don't have time to waste. Just remember that, Jane? We just drive on the yard. And they put ruts. I'm telling you, in my yard, like 12, 14 inches deep. And it was horrible. But the rest of the yard was looking pretty good. This is like a year later. And the Lord showed me, quit focusing on this, these ruts that has started to come back and look at the green grass. Sometimes that's so true in life, isn't it? We, we focus on what we think is so horrible, or the worst in somebody maybe, instead of being thankful. The Lord desires that we have thankful hearts. Again, it's the flesh who wants to pick out every little detail. 
And it's the Lord who wants to work on those things. So in closing, we have these four attitudes. Letting the peace of God arbitrate and lead us through decisions of, and, and, and doing life together in the body of Christ. Allowing the word of God to settle in and be at home in our hearts. Allowing or having a commitment to bring Jesus into every area of our lives by honoring him in everything that we do. And then last, having a heart of thanksgiving. Recognizing the goodness of God and expressing thankfulness to him. How can we pray for one another? Well, right here what we read today is how we ought to be praying for our church, praying for one another, that we would put on these garments, living in the days that we're living in, putting on these tender mercies, the kindness, um, the humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If we have a complaint against one another, we can trust in the Lord, be forgiving, and allow the Spirit of God to work in our hearts. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this body of believers, the assembly of Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. And we're so thankful for the whole body of Christ, Lord, that we are a unique people, having our sins forgiven, having the wonderful promises that you've given to your church within the, in the word of God. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you don't, you don't call us, you don't, you haven't chosen us. We're not the elect. And then you'd say, just go get them. Do the best you can do and hope for the best. You empower us with your spirit. And Lord, we pray for your spirit to place on each one of our hearts. That we would have that interview with you, Lord. That we might even look at the scriptures that we looked at today. And say, Lord, here I am. Here's my heart. Speak to me. And Lord, that your spirit would lead each one of us to pray for the body of Christ here. That this would resemble us, that in all things that we put on love, that we would love one another because we love you. And Lord, by doing so, that we would indeed be a light to this world. That the love of Christ would work in and through us. That it would bring glory to you. Help us, Lord, to do all things in the name of Jesus and for Jesus. Father, we love you and praise you. Would you bless this congregation this week abundantly? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.